Welcome to the podcast, Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald. It is another beautiful August afternoon here in Atlanta, Georgia. This is an ACS Executives production brought to you by Odds on Performance and Juggernaut Fitness. I've uh, got some exciting news uh, today. Um, you can now hear us uh, and my bald friend on multiple platforms, including Apple HomePod, uh, all you got to do is try saying, hey, Siri, play the podcast, hashtag biz with beard and bald, and sit back and relax in your home as we bring to you the most witty and informative show out there. I am Kirby Smith, and joining me from Houston, Texas, the man who has been using the same bottle of shampoo since his freshman year in college, the bald himself, my partner in crime, the one and the only, Mr. Scott Schaefer. Thank you, Beard. It's uh, good to be back in studio again. Um, it's very, very hot down here as we send all our kids back off to school. And I just have one thing to ask. Why do I never get to introduce the man who chooses butter over a clean shave and brings up the national average for touching a beard to over 700 times per day? I just don't get it. If you want to start doing the intros, I'll be more than happy to do you. But, you know, I'm just... Uh, you know, someone's got to do the work around here, and uh, it's, that's why I just do it. But next week, you got the intro, buddy. You know what? We, we, we got to make that a new rule. So whoever picks beard or bald, the individual next week gets to do the intro. Is that all right? I think that's a great idea, and that will probably give you plenty of time to use those products that you use on that, uh, well, bad home renovation you call a beard. Okay, here we go with the jokes again. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> Scott, how how'd last week go for you? Last week, what do you mean? Well, how was sales? Sales? Yeah. Oh, through the roof. Through the roof. <laughs> well, where were they at? For which company? Well, it's for ACS, not Rogaine. Oh, ouch, ouch. You know, I've never seen an angel with a beard. <laughs> oh, boy, that's a good one. That is a hell of a thing. Hey, seriously, say. just before we get started... Have your tissue. I don't want you to cry. Um, Am I going to get hey, beat up? No, 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 no. But I'm just thinking, given the forecast, your beard does not need to be watered today. Okay, okay. All right, well, let's get down to business, all right? I am very excited uh, about an amazing guest we have today. And I'm, and just, like I said, super excited. It's not just because he has a, a thick, beautiful amount of hair on his head, and I know I've seen him with a beard before. Uh, it's because he is the co-author of the book, The Wisdom of Failure, which was ranked number one on Barnes & Noble's top 100 bestseller list and number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. He is currently the president of McHenry County Economic Development Corporation. He is also one of the owners partners of Rush Creek Distilling in Harvard, Illinois. Jim also is a partner in Hartman Development Acquisition for over 23 years. Um, he has over 20 years of experience as a CEO slash president. Um, the director of board position of seven portfolio companies. He has an extensive broad nonprofit leadership, broad management experience. Um, man, the list just keeps going on and on. Joining us from the land of Lincoln, Mr. Jim McConaughey. Jim, thanks for joining us. 
Hey guys, thanks. Nice to be here. Hey, hey Jim, um, your resume, if that's what we want to call it, it's uh, <laughs> I, I kind of looked at it as chapter one of a of a of a good book or novel. It's pretty impressive, and your schedule seems to me to be packed like you're leaving the country. So why in the hell did you agree to come on this show? <laughs> Who can resist being on a show that has beard and bald in the title? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, what, I love it. Well, what isn't on his bio? And I know I want to kind of get this started, and I think this is a good way to get started. But I know I know this about him, and I'm not sure he wants to share. But I'm going to make him since the season's almost here upon us. Uh, we got college football coming up. Jim played for the Ohio State Buckeyes football program under Earl Bruce uh, for a little bit. So, Jim, tell me about that experience and how impactful uh, was that on you and your career? Uh, well, you know, it was the beginning as, a, as an adult to be around unbelievable leadership. And at the time, uh, I, I played a practice squad, so don't I want to overplay my position there. But uh, Mike Tomzak was a quarterback, and Pepper Johnson was a linebacker, there were uh, Dave Kokilius and uh, Dave Morrell were uh, ends in that particular play. And the famous John Frank, who went on to play a number of different NFL teams, was also a tight end. And it was just uh, really quite a privilege to be around such talent with great young leadership. And uh, I can tell you, though, some 20 years later, that amount of hitting that comes in uh, with Division <laughs> One football, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that as, a, as the right thing to do to prepare right. your body. But well, it was great to be around the leadership. Exactly, but you said you're pretty much on the practice squad most of the time, so I'm sure you did get hit quite a bit, right? Yeah, we were just raw beat. <laughs> well, as intelligent as you are, I'm sure you really raised the GPA for the team, though, correct? I think ultimately that was my real that role was there. Real <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, you and, you and Beard have something, a couple of things in common. Um, well, with the exception of you became an adult, he hasn't, but you're both around great leadership every day, so that's that's awesome. Well, now most people know Scott keeps beating me up. Most people know me. I'm a big Iowa Hawkeye fan, and the Big Ten was playing uh, the replay of last year's game with Ohio State. Did you catch that replay, Jim? No, I didn't. Uh, but I, you know, we got a big season coming up ahead of us, and Iowa's not part of it. So. Yeah, I think we. Uh, I, I don't think we want to come back after that beating last year. So. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Jim, hey, check it out. So your book of wisdom of failure. Um, was very well received you know the reviews were fantastic i truly enjoyed it um why don't you tell our listeners a little bit in your own words um about what it is and about what those who have not read it can gather from it so it's a it's a book that's really divided into three big parts and one is how your organization has to function at a very high level, the types of culture that you have to have in order to be able to advance good strategy and specifically uh, not get stalled by mistakes. And the second part of the book is really about teams and how teams work together, how they become uh, really excellent at production, and mostly how they sort of hit team goals and fulfill the company's mission. And then the third part of the book is how to avoid mistakes that are individual mistakes. And these individual mistakes really have to do with personality flaws or maybe the way your parents didn't raise you right or even more importantly you just don't know the right thing to do and so each section itself is broken down into ways that you can uh, make as few mistakes you can by observing what other companies have done wrong and then do the corrective behavior in those particular areas so do you do you feel leaders um, Jim can learn as much from success as they do from their failures or do you feel failures are gifts? And if you think they're gifts, how so? 
That's a great question, but I'll say I'll answer it in two different ways. One is if success is the quantification of revenue for a business, and the business itself is making a lot of money, making a lot of money covers up a lot of sins of failure. And then when you have a downturned economy, it kind of bears your soul, like the tide rolls back out of an ocean and it just shows all the shore in a bad storm. That same problem is not exposed at the time of revenue in which uh, you should be correcting those types of failures or at least learning from someone else. We like to say in the book, and generally speaking, you should be only making organic mistakes, original right. mistakes. Everything else, you should be a keen observer and try to avoid. Jim, I was uh, on a coaching session this morning with one of our clients, and uh, you, you just hit on a great topic there. Um, <clears throat> when the revenue and sales is hitting its mark, you know, a lot of stuff gets covered up. And unfortunately for this client, the last two months, they were hitting the break-even mark where they shouldn't have been. They should have been doing uh, probably about 50% more. So what gets uncovered, obviously, right, is the, you know, they were, you know, we also found out, you know, they weren't making the margins they needed to on the sales side. So not only was revenue not making the break-even mark, uh, the margins were lower, so then you get a double, you get a double whammy, and they, you know, they're in a tough situation at this point. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. So, Jim, are there any failures you have experienced that really stick out, you know, that have helped you become successful on you know, in other endeavors, and how do you harness that uh, to do great things? Well, first, I, I I've embraced failure, not just by the book, but the idea that. Uh, every one of these opportunities is a learning event that you can help advance what you're trying to accomplish individually as a personal guy or as a team player or as a strategy guy for a company. The, I think the, the failures that I have experienced that really stick out are failures of omission, not commission. So what I mean by that is I actually didn't do something wrong that I wished I had to take back, but the idea that I didn't collect enough facts to be able to go mm -hmm. forward with certain types of decisions. So a couple of companies I didn't buy at certain times because I think I didn't have the, I thought to myself, I didn't have the time to gather the facts to do that that turned out to be great investments uh, were really pretty big failures. And then, I mean, from my perspective of not acquiring it. And then I'll say the second part of that is that uh, when you're really asking a lot of questions, this has to do with the fact gathering. Uh, you know, turning it around on the person that you're having an interview with and saying, can you think of something I haven't asked you that you might think that I should have asked you and let them take over that part of the intersection unfolds a huge amount of additional information. So, again, the techniques of making better decisions about uh, acquiring things that are at the right time, right place, right fact set, right for you is probably uh, one that you really need to focus on. And then a second one that I found is to make sure that when you're doing interviews or talking to people, you let them volunteer up information and create a space in the conversation in which they can do so. That latter one there, Jim, why, why do you think people kind of avoid that or they don't go that extra step? Well, I think that people are sort of pre-wired somewhat in, into the idea that they have an agenda when they want to come into mm -hmm. the meeting. And, uh, you know, you learn this from our friends in the journalism business where they ask at the very end, they, they try to go into an interview with ideas about how to explore the topic, and then at the very end they say, what haven't I asked? And that should be sort of the mantra for every business guy. It should be, what do I not know about this meeting that I really should know by the end of it? Right. I love that. I love that. So so let me go ahead and jump jump in here um, to all of our listeners. If, if you haven't had the opportunity to read – 
uh, Jim's book, uh, Wisdom of Failure. Get out and do so. Um, and with that said, you know, one of my favorite parts uh, of the book, Jim, was uh, one of the sections on leaders, uh, and more specifically the leaders who rule by bullying. And, uh, you know, depending on the, the generation uh, of our audience uh, out there, my furry friend actually uh, wrote a blog about this <laughs> section. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, tell me, is this next generation after the millennials um, – enters the workforce, will this hierarchy type of leadership model survive? And what would you suggest to those on how to change if not? So I think that there's, I think bullies hide behind, bully leadership specifically in business, hide behind the idea that they're in the four walls of a business. Now, some of them don't care and they bully all the time, but that's a rare group. What usually happens is they bully a team or they bully their company and then when a sales or you know a supply chain person comes in. Everybody acts all friendly. The real key to this is that the millennials and specifically social media has blown the top off the idea that you can expose bullying leadership in a way that isn't just about the company and it's reasonably autonomous and uh, and anonymous. Those particular uh, functions I think are going to put a big dent in the idea that bullying is a way to do traditional business because. Folks will know that's a bully leader, and they won't join into a company because of that culture. Now, I can tell you that it will exist because there are many people that have to have an environment which is very rigid around them. They're very insecure, and bullying is a form of expression of that insecurity. And so, uh, you know, when we're dealing with problematic issues like that, um, it, it's it's only sufficient to be able to uh, either call it out and get it changed where you gotta go. You gotta leave and find a different job. Well, that's a great time to transition to a little bit of topic, and I know you speak passionately about it, Jim. Uh, and that is the topic of this younger generation, um, this next generation, I, I'm not sure what you call them, um, but the ones after the millennials. And I've been reading some you know, great information on this uh, particular topic, and actually I read it today. Uh, this next generation will actually account for 30, 32% of the Earth's population in, two, in 2019 compared to millennials, which is only at 31.5%. Um, I think that's phenomenal. Um, one of the other things I found very interesting was that, you know, members of this generation are very different because they've only known the digital world. Uh, and they grew up amid the war on terror and the global recession. And, uh, you know, they, they, they seem to think they're going to be what they're saying is they're going to be happier, a happier generation than millennials. Um, this generation, you know, what does the workforce look like for them then in the year 2025 and beyond? Well, that's a great question, but uh, I think because it's sort of just sort of prognosticating what will happen in the future, I, I probably uh, sort of bundle this up into three big things. And the first one is this generation is going to go through uh, a period of rapid acceleration and technological and innovative change that we have not seen for the last 20,000 years. So in the last 100 years, we had the big industrial age. In the last 20 years, condensed down again, we tripled or quadrupled the amount of uh, access through the computing years. And now this is sort of the next iteration of 
massive change in their society, and they have to be braced for that change, tolerant of it, and survive through it, and some of them have to thrive in it. So let me give you some examples, the second part. Some, some of this is going to be mass customization. There's a, we're going to start wearing devices that will monitor our health and then send a signal to a 3D printing pharma device that will sit in our kitchen that wow. prints exactly the amount of uh, medication we might need for the day. Or there will be ways in which uh, you walk up to video screens all around the world, all around the country, even in your own place, and it actually knows who you are and what you want, and it will serve that up without you having to ask. So imagine you're walking into an airport, and you walked up to a screen, and instead of having to find what gate you're at, it just tells you, leads you, sends a map to your phone, and all of a sudden there's an enormous amount of uh, information, all customization just to you. And then as a third example on this, and I'll try not to go on too long, but we're, I'm genuinely excited about the future. The whole exploration of blockchain, it's kind of really tied together with cryptocurrencies. And we're going to think of 2015, 2016, and now 2018 as being sort of the, the birth child of ways uh, cryptocurrency works. And I know that's a whole different conversation. But that right. technology that's on the back end, software that's on the back end, will knock the middleman out of banking institutions, will knock, you know, we'll be able to track our medical, we'll be able to uh, track our food that came from Wyoming beef, and it's just a phenomenal time. I have a 23-year-old son, and I'll close this part of the thing with, I would trade places with him right now if I could for what's going to happen in his life over the next 50, 60 years for everything that I've experienced, and I've had a great life. So yeah. I have nothing but the best thoughts for our next younger generation coming forward. Well, Jim, I wasn't excited, but now I'm fired up. I mean, are you <laughs> telling me there will be something that maybe will be in Curfee's office or uh -oh. or house uh, that I can be integrated to where I can hit a button and it will shave that neck sweater right off of him? You know, I think the flip side of that is you might be able to grow a head a whole head of hair in a short period of time with a new tool. I, I'm not sure why I would want to do anything like that. But um, let's bring it back to the here and now, Jim. If, if, if the last couple of years have taught us anything, and, and especially in the here and the now, it's that, uh, and we coach to this every day, of course, um, if you don't evolve your business model or adapt, uh, no one is too big or small to fail. How will we, or what do you think, um, how do you feel anyway, uh, we as leaders and companies need to adapt to this next generation, tying it back uh, or forward in the technology boom. Well, you guys are really good at what you do, and the people that uh, follow and that you've uh, helped coach through know this in a much longer presentation. But I can say that the, the biggest things that we see that are happening right now is that uh, most people have grown up in a period of time in which you had to search for information. And right now, at this period of time, you have to sort information to get it right from wrong. So this vast amount of information that's available at your mm -hmm. fingertips really needs to be evaluated for quality. So in the, in the short term, growing in the intermediate term, one of the things you have to do to evaluate your business, evolve your business model and adapt is get the right set of facts so you know how to steer it in the right direction. And that's really difficult to do, as uh, you know, especially in this political environment. It just seems to be more and more difficult and, uh, you know, people are so quick just to, you know, hit share and like and not really reading it or, you know, they've got their own political views, whether it be right or left, it doesn't really matter. They just quick want to share it to try to get a point out. So that, that, that's very, uh, yeah, that, that, that's going to be interesting. 
Um, yeah, and Kurt, for one other just small piece to that, which is uh, in the in the question Scott you asked, uh, like you're not too big to fail, but I think what happens is that businesses have to decide that they're not going to chase every shiny ball, and they kind of have to decide what they are, who they're going to do it, and then how to uh, adapt to the disruptive forces. Like, you know, the world's largest hotel company doesn't own any hotel rooms. The world's largest taxi company doesn't own any cars. So nobody saw that coming over the last 10 years except for just a couple of businesses. Right. Well, when we keep mentioning this, uh, this new generation and the millennials, and we discussed it on previous episodes, and you've kind of given us your feelings about both of these generations, <coughs> excuse me, already. Uh, so I'm going to take a little play from your book. What else could you tell us about what's coming down the pipeline for them? That uh, we don't for the know? Yeah, yeah, so they're going to be working. It's estimated that this particular uh, generation is going to be working in about uh, 11 to 14 jobs in about seven different industries. Of those seven industries, four of the industries aren't even developed yet through their lifetime of work. Really? Wow. So what that means is they have to be extremely adaptable to learning. And I, and I think that's a, you know, that's a very good point. I mean, again, going back to social media and you see stuff people posting out there, and again, I, it, it drives me nuts. And I might have mentioned this before in a previous episode, but you know, I saw a thing out there where, hey, you need to boycott these automatic you know, uh, cashiers at Walmart and stuff like that. And again, my theory is, hey, we're not going backwards. Technology is not moving back to the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. We're going forward. So take it as an opportunity to learn, educate yourself so that you can be prepared when that change does happen that you're ahead of the game and not sitting there wondering, now what do I do? Well, and I'll, I'll compliment you guys for the life's work that you do in coaching, but because as people transition, they're going to need uh, really a lot of coaching throughout their career. And, in fact, the previous decades of generations of people have not thought coaching was an important, relevant uh, part of their business advancement uh, strategies. But in the next generations, the next decades, uh, every employee is going to need coaching to switch from one job to the next, and every business is going to need coaching on how to shift out old skill sets and put in new. So many transitions. Well, so thanks many for the plug. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, shave, I shave my head and I know things. Hey, uh, so, so Jim, um, kind of a cool story, or at least I think so. Um, you and three other people, I believe, um, recently started, and I don't know how recent, but uh, a business venture called Rush Creek Distilling. Um, can you share with our audience, and, and honestly with me, um, is this a true story? And if so, um, how did you and your partners decide to start this? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I actually own a whiskey company, and it's called Rush Creek Distilling. We're about four years old, and uh, it is a great story, and we have a lot of fun with it. We make uh, bourbons and rye, and we make vodka and gin, and we have some specialty products, and we're pretty good at it. And I'll tell you that Rush Creek is a local uh, ag-to-market or grain-to-glass type of Operation. It's about 15,000 square feet. And the story is simple. We were all having a cocktail one night in a bar, and we said, you know, none of us have really made a consumer product in the past. Wouldn't it be kind of fun to do that? And so we went through an exercise at the table on a napkin, trying to decide if we wanted to do beer, because everybody was a beer drinker at that point right. except for me. And we decided that distilling was a, you know, less road traveled. And uh, out of the bar was Rush Creek Distilling born. That quick, Man. that easy, huh? Yeah, just you know, it how, just takes five mil, five million bucks in five years to get it to work. But well, <laughs> how, how many drinks? How many drinks are you guys in? We say, hey, yeah, we're doing this. 
you know, that could have been part of the problem. It could have been. <laughs> <laughs> Turning <laughs> problems into success, for and sure. And my thing is, how come we're not doing this on site and doing this show up there right now? I would, I'm sure the show would be a lot more entertaining if we were sitting there. The yeah, the beginning right of the show is usually really good, and then the end of the show, you have to worry about something. <laughs> <laughs> Using a lot of edits and uh, bleeps, huh? Good happens. It happens. So. That's a great story. <laughs> um, Jim, you've been very successful in most of your endeavors, and so basically I'm going to ask you, what are your secrets to your success? Is it just making everything for everyone, which I know that's, probably, that's not it because you've already touched on that. Is it more pushing towards change, even if others don't feel it as a good idea? I mean, and how how do you determine that? Yeah, probably this is the best question of the whole series, and I'd I'd say it's uh, at the very beginning of my career, I was trying to really understand um, what I needed to know and how to craft it. And I'll use an analogy here that helps people sort of understand. It's like um, if I was learning to rock climb up a sheer face of a rock wall, you have to learn all the techniques that are associated with uh, improving your rock climbing because if you fall, usually you fall from a height that's going to hurt you, and that's a really serious <laughs> thing. Later, if uh, in your career, you have to learn to play in team building, so you're going to climb that rock wall with a little team together. It's called rope, and the rope actually has a switch off in leadership, and what you really have to do is know what each other can do very well, and then during the nighttime, if you're climbing, you got a guy who can forge his way up the rocks better at night, and if you need a strength oriented guy, you got that guy out in front for the next part. The last part of the whole evolution, though, where I'm at right now, the where I'm at right now is that um, I I have to put a whole expedition together. I have to get the permits to get it into mm-hmm. Nepal. I have to find the Sherpas. I have to, and I do this because I've done enough building of ropes and teams and knowing the skill set of myself well enough that I can put the whole plan together. So as a most successful uh, type person, I wouldn't say there's one single answer other than knowing yourself really well. The, the biggest answer is to constantly evolve to the ever-increasing requirements of what your responsibilities are. Wow. That's fantastic. So, Jim, you've, uh, you've worked with hundreds of startups, um, venture capital groups, Etc. Um, it goes without saying, and I'm sure our audience uh, feels the same way, uh, whether they know you or not, um, how intelligent you are when it comes to economic development and the, and the successes you've had there. And uh, now that I know the napkin story, I may have couched this question a little different, but this is this is selfish on my part. I want to know um, from somebody with, with your success um, and experience, how does one determine what business he or she should be in versus what business he or she has no business being in? Well, uh, I'd say there's uh, two big generic answers, and I'll kind of dial in just a little bit. But the big generic answer is if you want a lifestyle business, then that's the business that you're operating, and then you enjoy a lifestyle that comes from it. You can pick businesses that are not as competitive businesses. You can be the only optometrist in a small town, or you can be the only vet in a small town, or you can you know, run a supply. It's, the point is... You're choosing a lifestyle, and that lifestyle uh, helps make the right amount of money for what your lifestyle is at that time. The other type is a growth business, and a growth business is not a lifestyle business. It's a business in which you're constantly challenged with new problems, and you're constantly going at competitive issues, and you're working at it as fiercely as anything in your life uh, is meaningful to you. 
And within that growth industry, you have to have some of the most competitive types of uh, strategies, both uh, you know, barriers to entry, meaning you got to get really big, or it's a highly regulated business, oh. or it's it's tough to do that, or it has to be so leading edge that you have to sort of forecast what people's needs are going to be, and you know somehow in the back of your mind that creating a Airbnb business, which we just mentioned, without building hotel rooms is going to be satisfying to a large population of the world. And I think the last piece, the icing I'd like to put on that is, I don't think uh, this is the first generation, and I don't think the decades that I was raised in, I was really thinking about my companies being a global company. But now you have to sell to 95% of the rest of the world, not just the 5% that most of the generations were in the past. And so with the Internet and the ability to speak multiple languages uh, through translator software, it's really quite interesting to think there's a completely different service model out there, a customer-based model, that isn't just about your small town or just about a specific leading-edge product. It's about selling to 7 billion people. So speaking of lifestyle um, and um, – no, seriously, speaking of lifestyle and uh, you know a global audience – um, I'd like to take this opportunity to recognize one of our friends at www.beardbrand.com. That's www.beardbrand.com, where they formulate products to work with your body's natural chemistry. <laughs> Beard Brand, they do more than just deliver excellent products. They inspire the man to invest in himself and foster confidence through grooming. So, again, if you have an opportunity, visit beardbrand.com. That's beardbrand.com. Well, it sounds like Scott's changing his view on uh, beard, so. Uh, <laughs> Just setting it up. <laughs> well, we're coming to the end of our show, and Jim, you have given us a wealth of information. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to plug at this time uh, that you got coming out or you know, anything currently you're working on? Uh, you know, if anybody wants to get a copy of the book, uh, The Wisdom of Failure, um, yeah, I think we could set that up on your website, and I could hand-sign a copy and get it off to them if they'd awesome. like that. So yeah, let's, uh, let's always work available on through your shop. Wow, I should have waited. I, my copy, A, is not signed. <laughs> B, did not come directly from you, and I had to get it from Amazon. So I'm going to get me another copy. I have a signed copy. I'm very proud of that. So Great. Go Michigan. <laughs> He's going to hang up on us. Come on. I gotta... <laughs> I'm glad it's the end of the interview. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Well, you're right. It is the end of the show, and so we've come to one of the most important parts of the show. And you know, I know you said there were some important questions, but I think this is one of the most important. Um, and you know, knowing you, Jim, I have seen you with a beard before. Uh, I think it was at my wedding site last time I saw you with it, which has been 12 years, believe it or not. Um, you know, and I've been doing a little research because I've had this theory that there's been some conspiracy. Uh, around beards not being popular in the business world and what have you. And, and if you've got some, you know, uh, forethought on that, I'd love to hear it. Um, but, you know, I've been doing a little reading, and, it, you know, it seems like beards trends come, you know, come back and forth. Uh, and it just appears that basically, you know, I, I, you know, it comes down to some guy who couldn't grow a beard started making it unpopular. What are your thoughts? Uh, my simple thoughts are that there's two classes of beard wearers. There's guys that are hiding behind their beard, and then there are guys that are trying to make their beard say something out front. So, All right, I'm not going to ask which one you think I am. So. <laughs> I don't think we need to ask which one you are. <laughs> but the uh, question in itself, so if you had a choice, what do you prefer, beard or bald? 
<laughs> I guess I'll pick beard. <laughs> nice. That's the way we like it. That's fair. So you're you're picking the man who leaves shaving to simply his underarms and legs. I get it. That's cool. I just don't wear the hat for the rest of my life. Ouch. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Mr. Jim McConaughey has picked Beard over Bald. That means Beard is up two to one. I knew we should have had that other McConaughey, that that actor guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jim, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Scott, you want to wrap anything up? Uh, No, I just uh, I had a great time, guys. Jim, thank you. Um, I look forward to my signed copy of the book. And... uh, as well as watching some of those squad players maybe making it on the field uh, this year for the Buckeyes. Thank you guys for the very entertaining show. Thank All you right, buddy. Show. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks. Hey, Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you're very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.